Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. 50 Irish citizens have been evacuated from Sudan since yesterday. And the Tarnished uh, uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs, Michal Martin, has said he thinks there are about 150 there in total. Members of the Army Ranger Wing, the Defence Forces Special Operations Unit, have been dispatched to Sudan uh, to help. So what does an operation uh, like this uh, entail? We're going to find out uh, a little bit more uh, about what's going on on the ground in uh, Sudan as well and how many Irish people are there. I want to uh, firstly talk uh, to retired Lieutenant Colonel and Airport Safety and Security Auditor uh, Kevin Byrne, uh, who joins me on the line. Uh, Kevin, good afternoon and welcome to Lunchtime Live. Thank you, Adrian. Good afternoon to you. So, uh, Kevin, you have served in, in this part of the world. Indeed, yes. Uh, I was last there on a government mission in uh, 2009, and Khartoum is a fantastic city. It's, it's really, it's a huge sprawling centre, and uh, of course it's in the Sahara Desert, you know, so it gets very hot when we were there, and there's a lot of moving parts. Now, it was uh, under the dictatorship of uh, uh, al-Bashir, who has uh, since uh, left premises, as it were, and the forces that turfed them out, you know, seem to have fractured along different lines at that stage, and that's a very great sadness for everybody who's there because, uh, you know, it, it's not good news for anybody, especially the population there, which wants to be as happy as they can be, you know, mm. unsettled now. Okay, now the um, the special operation members of the uh, Army Ranger Wing, um, the Defence Forces Special Operations Unit, they've been uh, dispatched. It's a limited number of them. Um, they yeah. uh, are flying commercially to get to uh, Sudan. What exactly will they do? Well, they're going to go to Djibouti first, I understand. And while I served overseas in Khartoum, uh, uh, I was with some uh, French officers, I report to a French colonel there. And Djibouti is a huge major base for the French and has been for Africa. They've got a port, an airport, and they've got a lot of forces there. So they're well used to doing that kind of thing. They will be the, I reckon that's the jumping off point for uh, transport aircraft that will come from the European Union. And I'm including then maybe the Spanish, maybe the the Luftwaffe from the Germans uh, and the French. So the, the, the trick, if I can use that expression, is to get as many Irish citizens from the, uh, you know, the, the points of, of conflict in Sudan and get them either by road or by air to some uh, airport that isn't under fur, that is not under threat. And that's the complication, getting people assembled such that they can be moved by bus and under the protection of the Ranger Wing and other forces and get them into a place where European Union citizens can go because we don't have the aircraft in the Air Corps and from the Irish forces to get them home in one piece, as it were. OK, so um, up to 12 members and the reason yeah. uh, there are only... Uh, 12 members being sent is um, because if you were to send more, we have to apply basically for permission. It looks like a technical and a legal complication for that because, uh, you know, 12 is a very small number. It's just kind of a section, one third of a platoon maybe. So, you know, other forces will be on the ground to assist us in that regard. Um, the problem, I suppose, for those who are in Khartoum or different parts of Sudan is getting them to a safe location because it looks as if the, the fragmentation war has got no front lines, as it were. For what I've seen on television, there was, for example, a MiG-29, a fighter aircraft, firing rockets into a part of the suburb of uh, in north of where the embassies are. It's 
far as I could make out along the River Nile. And that's a very tragic place to be. And there's shelling and shooting. And the lines are not fixed in that regard. So getting to a place where the embassy says we will pick you up in buses and then take you by escort to a location that's safe is not easy to do. So it's, it's, it's complicated and very, very flexible and fluid at the moment. OK, but, uh, but those 12 members of the Army uh, Ranger Wing, yes. will, will they be on the ground in Sudan? I, I think they will be. From what I understand, they'll move from Djibouti into a location which is not Khartoum Airport, a place I know well. I suspect they're going to use a, an airport that's under the control of the military as opposed to the reactionary forces in that regard. And I think they've, they've given safe passage to aircraft to come in and take their forces out. Uh, I beg your pardon, their, their citizens out using, using whatever force they have to. The Americans made a successful exfiltration with their Chinook helicopters, I think from Djibouti in that regard. And that was done with the with the assistance, I think, of whatever government forces are still in charge around and about Khartoum. Okay, I appreciate the the call, uh, Kevin. Let me move to um, I. Sorry, um, Doctor Aya Mohammed is on the line. Um, Doctor Mohammed, good afternoon, and welcome to Lunchtime Live. Your dad is actually uh, in Sudan. Is that right? So my father was in Sudan. He actually managed to get out yesterday on the evacuation flight that was sent by the French embassy. So he's in Djibouti as of 6 a.m. this morning. So thankfully, my father is safe, but I'm as concerned and so really, really worried about a lot of my friends who are still there, who are Irish citizens, and obviously my own family who aren't Irish citizens who are having to face this terrible situation. Tell me what you know about the situation uh, on the ground, because, uh, you know, for those of us looking from uh, this remove... This is kind of flared up out of nothing, it would appear. Yeah, so it's essentially a, a an, an issue, kind of, people are, are, there's a lot of painting it out to be a civil war. This is actually just a war between two factions of the army. We've had civil wars in Sudan before, this is not the same situation. So everything was absolutely fine. It's Ramadan, it was Eid this last weekend, everyone was fine until Saturday. Um, there were basically fights between the army and the rapid security forces, which previously would have been a par- par- paramilitary branch. Um, and that kind of led to that. So the first thing that happened was rapid security forces went to the airport. So immediately on Saturday, Saturday when, when that happened, we all knew that there would be problems getting our loved ones out of the country because the airport was essentially destroyed. There were planes set on fire, bullets into the plane, and it was completely decimated. So from that point of view, that's been the biggest issue. And then that's led on to the last week where there's been the fight. It's obviously quite dangerous on the ground. It's quite variable. Depending on different areas and different neighborhoods, there's different levels of fighting. And that changes from a day-to-day kind of um, approach process. There are some places that are quiet and then there are others that are not. Um, So the situation where we're at at the moment is, for example, my father was able to make it yesterday because his area was relatively quiet um, fighting-wise, made it to the French embassy, which is in one of the most prominent and most affluent areas in the country, in the city, as are most embassies, as our our own embassy belt here is. Um, He managed to get there. Um, You're given very little notice, which is understandable because things are are changeable. Given very little notice, about two, three hours to get to, you know, to whatever location it is. And yesterday, with the French embassy he managed to get there there were another 180 people who got there and then I know a lot of people two people in particular really good family friends who really struggled and and took their own lives into their hands to get to this to, to the French embassy which is in a very particular quite a hot spot in terms of fighting um, and they were locked outside so there was 180 people they were told was at capacity that there was a convoy going to a military base if you had a car that'd be great follow us which is not a risk that people are willing to mm. take you know like the convoy was there they had French soldiers um, arming them so 
they've been put in really, really precarious situations. So we understand, we know the situation is difficult, but there's a lot of, I'm really interested, I'm very happy to hear about the fact that the Special Defence Forces were going in. But as somebody who, for me and a lot of my friends and family, we have a lot of information on the ground. We know exactly what's happening. Um, we're getting a lot of WhatsApps, we're getting a lot of messages. None of us have been contacted about this. So, you know, there hasn't even been this, this concept of, you know, there's an estimated number. There doesn't need to be an estimated number of Sydney people. You can, you can call us and we will tell you exactly the number of Sydney's people. We know where our relatives are. We know how to get to them. We have contact details. We can organize ourselves, but no one has been contacted. So I'd be really interested to find out where these special defense forces are going to go and who they're going to contact and how, you know, what, what their plan is when they get there. Because as people who have a lot of information as to what's happening, as to where the best places to go and where the best places are to avoid, where the fighting has happened, none of this information has been utilized. Mm. So we would really like to, have to be more involved in this process and because we just want as many people out as possible and back into safety. I have a really good friend of mine. She's a psychiatrist. She's got her two children with her. They're 11 and two years old. She had to leave the capital. So she was there with her family in the capital. And actually, because the evacuation was also quite late. It's a week later. So she spent a week in a bomb, in, you know, just kind of suffering a lot of bombing and a lot of trauma, basically. So she actually left the capital and has gone about four, two, kind of two, three hours out of the capital and is now not sure whether or not to make the decision as to come in or not or, or, or what to do. So uh, we would really like to, we'd like to kind of liaise more with that. There's a Sudanese doctors' union in Ireland. There's a lot of bodies in Ireland. Or there's a lot of Sudanese peasants um, in the country. There's not a single hospital in this country that does not have a Sudanese doctor. Like there's a plenty of ways to get in touch with us and to find out. But we haven't been approached. And I find that really, really And who, who do you put that down to? I put that down to the Department of Foreign Affairs. I mean, I, I, I think that like for me, that's, that's their job is to find out how we don't expect the Irish Defence Forces to know the ins and outs of Khartoum, but we do expect them to contact the people who do. Mm. So from my point of view, that's, that's the biggest thing. And I have been calling, we've been screaming at embassies, at you know, people in the consulate in, in Kenya, and we know it's dangerous. We, that's not lost on us. But at the same time, I just find it amazing that none of them have been contacted to say, have you compiled a list? Where's the list of people? Where are they? What's going on? We could do that. We could get exact names, numbers, figures, locations. We could try and congregate people in common areas so that they could be picked up. But we, we need more than two, three hours notice. To okay. And have, have you been in touch with foreign affairs yourself? Yes, I have. I spent all day yesterday in touch with foreign affairs. I've, I've been in touch with foreign affairs since last week, but I'm particularly yesterday um, when I was told about the evacuation. Like I said, my father was lucky enough to make it, but others were not. There are 50 people standing outside that embassy who should have been on that plane or who should have been kept safe and were not. And the, 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 the French embassy together. basically said they were full. They were full and that was it. They weren't even, but they didn't take them indoors to tell them that or where else to go or what else to do. So, and with patchy internet connection, like this is not a 46A bus that you can just catch the next one. We need to know, we need a plan in place to get as many people out as possible. So they were just told, there's no, there's no more, sorry, goodbye. And they were just left outside. Now, well, hopefully with, the, uh, hopefully with the Army Ranger Wing on their way, uh, there will be at least some coordination from that point. We would hope so, but I, have, I certainly haven't heard anything. I mean, I would, have, that's, I, I would love a phone call from anybody in the, in the Army Ranger unit to tell me and I can give them names and numbers and details and we can get as many people together as possible and make this as easy as possible. You know, the whole situation is difficult but we are re- we're really, really trying. Um, so, like I said, we haven't, I haven't got any contact and I don't know anybody who has. I mentioned uh, that the uh, Tonish just said that there are about... 150 there in total. Is that figure accurate? Irish citizens, that is. Would you think that figure is roughly accurate? 
I'd say it's roughly accurate. Um, it could be more, considering kind of um, Ramadan is a it's it's the equivalent of Christmas season. So people, that's the main time that people tend to go home and be home with their families. So um, I don't have, you know, we don't have an exact number of us, but like I said, it can certainly be done. But like, you know, no one has been contacted, no one has been asked. So that's our kind of our next step mm. now is to hopefully try and mobilize. We, you know, and get all get all those details together. But we'd like to do it in conjunction with the Tonish and the Department of Foreign Affairs. Okay, stay with me for a second. Um, I'm joined on the line by the General Secretary of the Sudanese Society of Cork, Dr. Osama Ali. Uh, Dr. Ali, good afternoon and welcome to Lunchtime Live. Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, what sort of information are uh, you getting from uh, Khartoum as regards the situation there now? Situation is very fertile in Khartoum. Situation is very bad. Uh, today, there, the information was very scarce as there was um, the internet and the phone calls were all uh, were, were all down. Which just for the last five minutes we have we have it. Uh, situation is changing all the time. The, there is uh, fighting from street to street. Uh, the, still, the airport is uh, is an area of the fighting. Still, the presidential palace, uh, the main the main areas in Khartoum. Uh, they're all under shelling and bombarding, and uh, fighter jets are flying. Uh, it is a full-blown war in Khartoum. And obviously, um, nations are attempting to um, take their citizens out. Um, Ireland is making an effort with sending the uh, 12 men- members of the Army Ranger Wing. Um, I was hearing from uh, Dr. Mohammed just a moment ago how unhappy she is with the way in which it's being coordinated. Um, what is your feedback? I, th- I think there is need to be more work on that. Um, but uh, on the same time, on the, uh, on the other fronts, there has to be uh, some sort of call from the Irish government and from the European Union to be involved in the protection for the c- civilian, resolving the humanitarian crisis in, at the matter of pri- priority uh, uh, through an urgent humanitarian cessation of hostilities. Uh, and and that and process has to be um, with a verification mechanism. Uh, so I, I, I would urge as well the Irish government, I will urge the European Union uh, to be directly involved, to involve the United Nations agencies and the international humanitarian uh, aid agencies working in Sudan um, to urge plan to reduce the human suffering. The situation is, is, very, is very bad and is very futile in Sudan. It seems, uh, as I said, looking at um, the coverage from, from this remove, it seems uh, to be quite a nasty um, war, if we want to call it that, or a dispute between opposing sides of uh, the military. Uh, do you see it getting worse before it gets better? Well, uh, I would say the only way out of peace is uh, through a political settlement that should lead to finalizing the great effort, uh, the framework that was started uh, to establish democracy at the bottom line. Um, uh, taken, to, of course, taken into uh, consideration the new new realities. Uh, I would quote uh, two statements from the two main players in this: uh, the head of the military, uh, General Al Burhan, who said uh, this war is futile; that he doesn't know uh, when it's going to end and how it's going to end. Um, as well, I will uh, quote the main the statement from um, General um, Hemeti who is uh, the general of the rabid support uh, forces who said that uh, this this war uh, is uh, the, the winner of this war is a loser so uh, i think there is an opportunity here but unless we engage directly into uh, first of all and to try to get a verified uh, 
cease fire and then um, to uh, be mediators for this cease fire and for the negotiation to resume. The negotiation was all uh, sort of, uh, about the DDR, the disarmament and uh, demobilization and rehabilitation of the forces of the Arab support uh, forces. Uh, so this, this, uh, there is no way out um, uh, apart from the political settlement. That doesn't seem to be in any way imminent. It is not. It's not imminent. It's not, it's not going to be possible. Um, while while there is still um, shelling, there is still bombarding um, as well. I think um, the ethics of this war is as well is not being observed. Like um, you, I, I just condemn using artillery, condemn using um, uh, aircraft and fighter jets. Um, uh, to for fighting and this is by the military at the same time I condemn the use of them of the militia uh, use of the civilians as a shield to try to run away from these from from these shelling and from these um, aircraft and just to uh, put our, put this in context for our listeners there have been a series of ceasefires that have been attempted over the last number of days they have failed to hold and the death toll within a matter of days has already passed 420 including 264 civilians and more than three and a half thousand people having been uh, wounded and that's just in a few days uh, and this is just i think it's a it's an it's just an, an estimate and i think the numbers will, will, will be more than that uh, it's not about just the direct fatalities uh, the half of the hospitals are out of service there is no electricity there is no water um, there, there isn't any um, means for for the daily life. Um, so I think the casualties are more, um, and, 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 and it's not not just directly by the by 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 the military action, but as well by the um, collapse of the of the of the life in there in Khartoum. And Dr. Ali, just uh, from a personal point of view, have you many family and friends um, in Khartoum or in uh, Sudan generally that are in danger? I have. Um, my family uh, there, my personal family, so my sister, she's still there. Uh, she's in a relatively safe uh, spot because it's an outskirt of Khartoum. But I have my um, uh, sister as well and my brother. Uh, they managed to flee Khartoum to a, near, a nearby city um, in, in a very difficult situation. And my understanding is that the, the fighting seems to be prim- primarily in Khartoum itself and not outside the city. The fighting mainly is in Khartoum. Now there are other areas that uh, there are they, they, there is fighting in it, and my fear is for the west of Sudan, the Darfur region. That's uh, because this militia um, is called the you know the Rabi forces before they were used uh, be called the Janjaweed militia. These fought in the conflict in Darfur region in the 2000s before uh, the previous regime uh, ruling by President Omar al-Bashir. They, um, they um, tried uh, to make this uh, militia into a, um, um, a regular paramilitary um, section. Uh, so even if the fighting has will even if the fighting stops in Khartoum, it's going to be uh, the Darfur region is going to be uh, back war uh, in war again. Okay, well, uh, let us hope that uh, it doesn't come to that. And um, I wish well for all of your family and friends uh, in Sudan, uh, Dr. Osama Ali. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on uh, Lunchtime Live. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan, weekdays at midday on News Talk. 
We're talking about uh, the fact that a team of Irish Special Forces soldiers and diplomats has been uh, dispatched to Sudan to assist Irish people in leaving the country in response to the worsening violence there. Up to 12 members of the Army Ranger Wing, the Defence Forces Special Operations Unit, are accompanying a small number of officials from the Department of Foreign Affairs. They're going to form an emergency consular assistance team uh, similar to the team that aided in the evacuation of Kabul in 2021 after the fall of Afghanistan. And uh, we're we're just uh, discussing what exactly is going on in uh, Sudan. But an interesting angle, Shelley joins me on the line. And Shelley, your husband uh, and your son uh, were in the Navy or are in the Navy. Um, What's it like if they get sent off on a mission like this? Um, I think oh, it's scary. It's it's scary for any family member knowing that their their loved one is is going off. I mean, we wouldn't be involved in any of their operational information. Um, you just have to live and rely on the the training they have. And um, we do know that our Ranger Wing in Ireland is world class trained. They may be small, but they're absolutely mighty. In fact, in Georgia and America, they took on the international sharpshooting and beat America on their own home soil. Oh, really? We oh, I never knew that. All right. In the world. Oh, 2018, right. yeah. You know, so we may be a tiny little country, but believe me, our ranger wing are elite, and there's something to be immensely proud of. Inter- I'm just interested in what you said there uh, a moment ago, that if uh, family uh, were sent off on a mission like this, the family left behind aren't privy to any information on Absolutely what they're doing no. and where they're going. No, I mean, um, as I say, operational information would not be forthcoming to the family. Um, you, you do understand what your family member do. You do understand, you know, the ramifications. But at the end of the day, they're trained in their job and we as military families keep everything going here at home. So I had my son and my husband both served in Operation Pontus, which was um, the rescue of migrants in the Mediterranean. So um, both of them served on the Samuel Beckett. And like that, there would be an awful lot of information that I would find out on the news online before the men could actually come and let me know that they're okay. Um, again, which has to be—it has to be very difficult being in that kind of information void. Um, it is, or is it something that you just get used to as a military uh, family? And I don't want it to come across as blasé because mm. it really isn't. But again, these men and women are just trained to the elite. So when it comes to the naval service, it's horrific what they have to do in the Mediterranean. But every day, our men and women are boarding trawlers in high seas in horrific weather, continuing their job, be it um, gun running, drug smuggling, or fishery protection and trawlers. And they literally, it is so dangerous every single day when they do their job and they do it every day. So not blasé, but their training is what gets them home. Okay, so we just have to have faith in the fact that they are highly skilled individuals. But they are, and the facts speak for themselves. Um, I would say to any family members out there now, be it they have family over as we speak or whether they have family travelling um, to be part of the operation, I would say, please don't worry. You know, um, you know yourself that they're picked because they are the best of the best. And anybody over there, please have the knowledge to know that the people coming over 
are just sublimely trained. But mm. in the flip side, we there is a, an organisation called WPDF. It's the Wives and Partners of the Defence Forces. You can find us online or if a military family want to contact you, you're more than happy to pass on my number. And we're an organisation that support military families. So if there's any information, if there's anything they need, by all means, contact us and we'll do our very level best to help them through. Um, when the tragedy happened in the Lebanon, we stepped up and helped there. We step up for Operation Pontus and Sophia. Even though our own loved ones are there, we're, we're in a position that, you know, if you need any support, we are there for you. That's fantastic. It really is. Um, and as we said, the uh, people that are travelling to Khartoum or to Sudan uh, as we speak uh, are very highly trained, but it doesn't take away the fear that uh, the situation on the ground in Sudan remains extremely volatile. So they they could be putting themselves in harm's way. Absolutely. Every time our men put boots on floor, they're very aware that this could be a situation that they're facing. Um, again, trained to the nth degree, every situation they are ready for. Um, th- so, yes, it is. But at the same time, and I stress this, when it comes to a military family, the home can't let the military personnel know that their fears and their panic mm-hmm. because they have a job to do. And it's one that they have to just switch off and do. So at home, we look after what we need to do here to let the men and women protect and serve for who they need to look after. So, yeah, they are trained. They are world class. Um, and I have utmost faith that everything will go fine. Absolutely. And hopefully their mission will be a success and uh, that all of the Irish citizens uh, needing and wanting to leave uh, Sudan uh, will be able to get out very, very uh, soon. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.